Welcome everybody to another Wealthy Podcast. On this episode, we dive into one of my TikTok live events. I do these every Friday at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. If you have the time and you're available, we'd love to see you at one of those live events where I can answer some of your questions too. Enjoy the episode. Today, we're talking about census data. We're talking about the census. We're talking about uh, demographics, people movements. We're talking about demand for real estate. Um, we are going to be talking about what people want and how Australia is changing. See, you know, this is a, the core of a lot of what we do at Wealthy, what Peter and I talk about every single day, trying to figure out what people want. Um, and this is an important topic because if you figure out what people want, what they demand, and you can predict what people's behavior will be in the future, this is where you're going to make a lot of money in real estate. Um, Peter, I know that this is a topic sensitive or dear to your heart. You know, both our parents migrated into this country. My parents came from Italy back in the 80s. Um, where did your parents come from? What was it like for, for you as a coming from a migrant culture and, and what kind of impacts that ha has had on you? Uh, yeah, so my parents came, my dad came out, I think, in the late uh, 70s, mid to late 70s. My mom came, I think, just before 1980. And uh, we're Assyrian. Um, our culture is Assyrian. Um, they came from Iraq. They came to Australia. They came from a very different world. And they came to a country full of opportunity. And they probably didn't realise the opportunity that was at their feet when they landed here, uh, or just what Australia would turn into. And... Um, yeah, they, they they valued certain things over others. They saw opportunity in Australia that they didn't have back in their own uh, country. And I think that's very similar with a lot of migrants that have come to this country and continue to come. Exactly right. And that's the critical thing behind this. People are coming into this country. You know, we've got a lot of skilled migrants, family migrants coming into this country, looking at it as fertile ground, full of opportunity, looking to put deep roots. You know, my grandparents and my parents came here, worked really, really hard. And the dream for them was to buy a piece of real estate. You know, uh, I know that your parents have got similar stories as well. Your uncles, your uncles, your aunties, you know, friends and family. People coming into a country are looking to create a better life. They're looking to buy real estate. They're looking to obviously rent real estate. And what we're trying to get at the core here is that Australia is changing. And one of the biggest parts of that that's interesting to me is that what is it? More than 50% of Australians now, Peter, are migrants or come from migrant families. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's a majority and it's a growing majority. And they're coming from different countries than they used to, Dom. So the composition of that is changing too. And what was the, some of the data that stood out to you? What kind of, what were some of the shocks or what were some of the surprising things about the composition for you? Uh, I think for me, what was surprising was uh, the growth of the South Asian community. So the Indian community, the Nepalese community that's growing, particularly here in Sydney. Um, those two communities and kind of like the way that their habits are impacting the real estate market. So, you know, these communities are very different to the Chinese community, for example, uh, the way that they think about real estate, the types of real estate that they buy and the areas that they go into. And that's had an impact on the market. 
Yeah, interesting point. So let's talk about, so for instance, in, in Australia, you, you're right, we've got these growing cultures coming through. Um, it says here that uh, Australians born overseas, about 26 of them came from the United Kingdom. And then after that, we've got the largest uh, migrant group or increase was from Indians moving into China, uh, moving into Australia, not China. Um, and then behind that was China. So for us as property investors, it pays to really understand these different migrant groups and what they demand out of real estate. Chinese people think very differently to Indian people. Indian people think very differently to you know people from the UK. And if you can follow those trends and understand who's coming into the country over time, you can then predict what types of real estate is going to grow the fastest. Um, what are some of the things that you've noticed, anecdotal evidence and things that you've noticed based on your research, Pete, that, um, you know, that you might learn from Indian, the Indian culture or that you might learn from, you know, the Chinese culture, people coming into our country and the types of demand that these two cultures have from real estate? Yeah, good question, Dom. So if we have a think about, um, let's go back to sort of the origins of Australia, right? So, sorry, there's a bit of background noise. So if you think about the origins of Australia, who, who you know, obviously we're, we're all on First Nation land and the ultimate migrants, the ultimate custodians of this land came, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. But then the European settlement um, and the English settlement, they came and they basically built copies of what you'd find in the United Kingdom, right? Or co copies of, of Great Britain. And so Australia became like a photocopy of what you would find in the United Kingdom. So the houses, the terraces, the cities, that was all laid out in that way. And then after World War II, you had the migrants coming over. And then so when the migrants came over, there was an expansion of Australia. It was the, the, the growth of Australian cities. So we had something that was very different to traditional Australia, which was instead of having terraces and inner city living, you had suburban living. So you had bigger blocks, um, bigger blocks of land, grass, um, a hills hoist in the back and a two or three bedroom um, house. Um, and basically that became the blueprint from post-war to kind of like the late 1990s. Then when you had the Asian migration and particularly the Chinese migration, we started to go more high density. Yeah. So if you go to China and you go to any major city in China, Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, you go to Hong Kong, um, you go to Taiwan and you go to Japan and you see that the way they live is in higher density and they prefer it. They prefer higher density living. So on transport infrastructure and you go up and you have security, you have amenity and they like living in that way. Um, and then we saw our cities change. We saw skylines in our cities change. Um, and everybody, you know, who was driving in our major cities were like, wow, far out, you know, look at Sydney skyline, it's starting to look a little bit like London or New York or, or Shanghai. And now you've got uh, a new type of migrant, um, the, the Indian, Sri Lankan, Bangladeshi, Nepalese and Pakistani and so on, right? We're generalizing, but we're trying to paint a picture here of who's coming and what they value is land because they come from culture where tangible uh, goods like gold and land are valued most. And because of affordability, they're moving out into newer areas, newer estates, and we're finding our cities are growing bigger. So Melbourne's getting bigger. The fringe of Melbourne is developed. The fringe of Sydney is developed. Adelaide, Brisbane, Perth. And that's the story now. That's the play. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And that's really, really important. Thank you for that historical breakdown, because it's really important to see how cities change and evolve. As you said, you know, early days, Sydney, Melbourne in particular, two bigger cities, they were um, suburban cities. It was going for quarter acre blocks. It was space. It was houses on blocks of land. And now the cities are urbanizing. They're becoming more urban. And in that way, as you're saying, becoming a lot more dense it was apartment blocks higher density living on focal transport and that the city was changing due to the demands that the people put on it and the demands that people put on it then changes the prices that people are willing to pay so as you said apartment style living or um vertical living became you know in vogue and a lot more um normalized because as you said you know we're Someone that's traveled a lot, you'll see that apartments are normal and, in fact, preferred across a lot of the world. When you go to London, when you go to New York, when you go to Shanghai, when you go to Guangzhou, apartments are the norm, not houses. And apartments are preferred in many ways because you've got the amenity on your doorstep. You've got train stations on your doorstep, bars, cafes, restaurants. People want apartments. So following that trend, that's why we saw this huge emergence of apartments, but then apartment prices skyrocketed to follow that wave. The next wave, as you're saying, is a a culture of people that does prefer land, that does prefer space, and commuter times don't matter as much, especially now because there is this emergence of work-life balance in that you can work from home. So if we're going to talk about areas of opportunity, I do think that that affordability belt that are on city fringes that may be an hour away is a massive opportunity where you can get not a quarter acre block anymore, but a quarter acre may not be manageable. You know, 300, 400 square meters of dirt with a nice size house is what's preferred. The other thing I want to touch on is ethnic clustering and how that impacts property prices. So if you were to have a look at, you know, a topic that's more relevant to me because my parents are Italian during the, um, you know, during the first and second world wars, that's when we saw a lot of Italians then coming into Australia. I think it was between sort of the forties and then the seventies. Um, that is when we saw a lot of Italians coming in and then they tended to cluster near each other. You know, had a lot of people coming into, you know, the Melbourne markets. There are specific suburbs that have a lot of Italians in, in that, that a lot of yeah. Italians living there. In Sydney, it's the same thing. So you can reliably predict when Italians are migrating in that this is where they're going to come and this is where you're going to see the demand for housing increase. Italians wanted to hang out with other Italians. They wanted to have the prosciutto pizzas. They wanted to have their passes. They wanted to speak the same language. Is that something that you think is going to continue? And with that in mind, what's some of the evidence that you've seen or that you'd like to point to? So I think a couple of things on that. Uh, One, migrants generally are willing to compromise more than locals. And so the Italians and the Greeks that went into those areas in the 1960s and 1970s, they weren't nice areas, right? They, they were areas where they were cheap or they were industrial or they stunk or whatever, but they compromised. And so what you find with migrant communities is that they're willing to compromise. 
migrant communities that are coming are willing to compromise that drive. They don't need to be 10 minutes uh, from the city. Uh, they, they don't mind driving an hour, hour and a half if it means that they get the things that they value most. And what they value is community. So some of the things that I look for is, is household size. I know, for example, when my parents came, when my dad's family came, it was him, his brothers, his parents, and they all lived in a two-bedroom apartment. Okay, so family size is important. And why that's important? Because it means that family that was in a two-bedroom apartment will over the next 10 or 20 years disperse and buy their own house. And they usually want to stay close to the parents. So where you have areas where families are moving in, chances are that when those children grow up and get married or whatever they choose to, to do, they want to stay within proximity in these cultures. Yeah, very important. So the, 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 the previous culture or the traditional Western Australian culture is you, you grow up, you move out, see you later. In these cultures that are now dominating our, our migration, it's different. It's a different culture. They want to stay closer. And again, we're generalizing not everybody, but areas with high um, you know, family concentration are usually good predictors for future real estate demand. Um, and you know that's that's a big factor. So what might not be nice now, what might be seen as shitty or you know um, for whatever reason you can poke a stick at it. If migrants are moving there, chances are it's probably going to become better in the future. Um, they'll use their entrepreneurial spirit and they'll use their work ethic um, to build you know places of worship, places of entertainment, food, nightlife. Have a look at Cabramatta. When I grew up. In the 1990s, I grew up in Fairfield, and Cabramatta was the heroin capital of Australia, right? And it was a no-go zone. It was known all around Australia. But the Vietnamese community um, who lived there persisted, and now Cabramatta is the most vibrant and some of the most expensive commercial real estate in Australia is in Cabramatta. So think 20, 30 years forward, and um, that's you know that's a good that's a good hack uh, for building wealth in real estate. Really, really good point. By the way, there's a lot of comments coming through Global Financial Insights. I'm seeing your questions. I'm going to address them. But first, I want to talk about some of the migration data. And the reason why we're focusing on migration data for census is because over the past couple of years, specifically, we've lost a lot of migrants. And this is going to be one of the biggest determining factors that will push property prices over the next seven years, let's say. Now, a point that Peter just brought up is a lot of the areas that are good today weren't so good in the past, right? Balmain was a shithole back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a poor area. People didn't want to live in Balmain. People didn't want to live in Five Dock. People didn't want to live in Fitzroy North. These were not desirable suburbs to live in. They were light industrial. They were on the fringes of the city. They were cheap. People didn't want to live in those suburbs. The reason why people live there is because they were cheap. Migrant communities came in. They came as close to the city as they could do. More migrants followed because they wanted to live in certain ethnic groups that live around one another. You can use the same techniques today. There are a lot of areas that you personally would not want to live in, but they will make viable investment options. And the reason why they make viable investment options is because other communities, other groups will want to live there. So Peter used the anecdote of Cabramatta. It was a very cheap area in the past. 
it's gotten much more expensive over time. We're looking now at different suburbs around Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Canberra that are representing great value. The top three places for migrant activity is Sydney first, Melbourne second, and surprisingly, Perth is third. There's a huge amount of skilled and family migrants that are moving into Australia, moving in between these three cities. For affordability, you're looking at Perth and Melbourne. Sydney is the biggest. It's, it's, it's the crown jewel, if you will. We're a bit biased, but it is the most expensive. Now, Pete, there's some questions here just to address them. Have you got some comments about what about um, regional versus metro um, and about working from home and some of the census data and what what we're seeing, what the data is talking about relation to that and what's becoming a bit more normal, what the shift is? Um, I haven't seen anything in the census data around that, Dom. Uh, the census data that came out this week was more around um, things like language, ancestry, faith, um, I didn't, I don't know if that data is out, but I didn't actually see it um, in terms of the census. In terms of an overall theme, it's interesting to see how the trends during COVID are now unwinding. Um, I suspect, you know, some of the people that did escape to the regional centres um, are now maybe tempted to come back. I don't know is the most um, honest answer of how big of a factor that is. Um, but I think there's a genuine story as the country grows, there's a genuine story around regional centers growing. And I think if you pick the right ones that have infrastructure and have, you know, organic secular growth and not, not just reliant on migration trends like Byron Bay, for example, where everyone ex escaped Sydney and Melbourne went to Byron. But, you know, you have regional towns that are growing that were once big. Um, and that, you know, as are, are providing um, a genuine lifestyle choice to a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. One thing that the census did touch on relation to regional and, and, and to people movement is um, there were some predictions between what they anticipated the population would be um, in 2021 versus what actually happened. And the surprising things that came out of that were that they anticipated um, New South Wales and Victoria's populations to be much higher than they actually are. Um, and what they found is that in New South Wales, we received 100,000 less people than they anticipated. Same thing for Victoria. Queensland was just $3,000 less, 3,000 people less than they anticipated. I suspect the reason why is because a lot of people left Sydney and Victoria to go towards Brisbane. The big standouts, talking about regional cities or talking about smaller cities, is that South Australia was 30,000 more people there than they anticipated, but Western Australia received 67,000 more people than they expected. And why that's interesting to me is it does talk a little bit about people's willingness to, as Global Financial Insights is said here, people can now work from home. There's, there is a lot more of a diverse group of people that will move to regional centers because they can have a better quality work-life balance. And just to, to your point, that there is an early sign that that isn't as strong as it as it was. We're talking, you know, 50, 100,000 people, which isn't millions, certainly. 
but 50 to 100,000 people does impact a city, especially if it's coming off a low base. You know, New South yeah. Wales is 8 million people, um, Victoria is 6.5. In Western Australia, it's 2.7. So these are smaller These are smaller numbers. And, you know, 70,000 people does have a massive impact on particular yeah. locations. I think the other thing that I'm also thinking about is that the census was taken in 2021, I believe, 2021 yeah. census. Yeah. And also Western Australia had a lockdown that had hard borders where you couldn't leave. So I don't know if if that stopped leakage, you know, people that could leave would have left and those numbers would have been different. But it's going to be interesting to see in four years' time how that data is backed up if that trend does uh, remain. And, you know, Perth has got a really nice secular growth story to it. So with or without borders, it's a great place where you can go and buy a beautiful four-bedroom house, um, have a very nice quality of life, um, and, you know, live very comfortably, earn similar income to the East Coast, not the same, but similar, and you're on the doorstep of Asia and you're closer to Europe. So it's got a lot of things going for it. It's also um, the, the financial centre for the mining and resource industry, and I know you know, mining and resources is becoming a bit of a dirty word now. Fossil fuels, there's a shift away from them. But Australia's largest export is still iron ore, right? So iron ore is our number one money earner. And iron ore, um, you know, the iron ore mines, the iron ore businesses are all headquartered there. Um, so there's a lot going for Perth. Um, it's a volatile and extreme, more extreme market, but it's a value market. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, the Perth story, the West Australian story is a story that's going to run for the next 10, 20 years. Yeah, I agree. People um, are not so confident about the Perth market. Historically, it hasn't grown as fast as the other states. But just because something has always been as it has doesn't mean it will be into the future. There all are There are anomalies. Things do change. People's lifestyles change. I do like the fact that it's one straight shot from Perth into Europe. That's awesome. It is, um, you know, a, a resource-dependent city, but it has taken the money that it's earned and it's really enlivened the city. So, so much has changed there. Now, I want to talk to you, Pete, about this news that the biggest group of people now are millennials, that we've taken over the baby boomers as far as, you know, population-wise. Um, what do you think about that? What kind of implications is that? Uh, do you do you see as a result of that information? I think two things. Uh, one, there's going to be obvious trends. You know, our generation behaves and and spends money and invests and lives very differently to the boomers. Um, and so there's going to be you know in the same way that the boomers were very different to to their parents uh, who survived the Great Depression. Uh, the boomers were all about growth and, and liberating themselves from that, you know, stigma that th th their parents went through. Uh, millennials also, you know, look down on boomers and, and want to live more of, a, of an experience and, you know, care about different things. Uh, you know, social awareness is a lot greater in amongst, um, yeah, um, sustainability is a very, very big theme and it's serious and it's going to impact the way that we build homes and build communities. But I also think countering that, one of the biggest dangers that we have is the birth rate. Um, so, you know, our generation are having less children uh, than the previous generation. And why that's important is because population drives real estate, right? More population, the more demand for housing. Um, and so if we don't have migration to offset that low birth rate, uh, declining birth rate, 
then I think that's going to be a problem. So um, we, we really need migration in Australia to, to solve that because, um, you know, millennials are having less kids, less children per household, having children later in life. And that impacts your economy, your tax base, and the way that you have uh, demand and supply. Mm, yeah, agreed. I think that you brought up some really important points. Um, I like the fact that, you know, the taste of a millennial is different to the taste of a boomer. The types of things that a millennial likes to have a look at, the fact that we're more conscious, we're more into sustainability, generally speaking, is, um, you know, indicative of what types of thing, uh behaviors we're going to have what's important to a millennial is different to uh, what's important to a boomer um and one thing that might come into is a little bit interesting is that it is one of the largest intergeneral wealth wealth transfers so boomers exiting the market empty nesters selling their piece of real estate transferring or sell transferring that asset to you know, the younger generation and what they then choose to spend their money and how they choose to spend their money. Um, that's that's the bulk of it. Peter, is there any notes or anything else that you want to touch on? Are there any comments here that you think you want to address or discuss? No, not really, John. I think we've touched a, a whole heap of stuff. Um, I'm reading some of these comments. I don't really understand them. Um, so not sure, but if anybody's got any questions, maybe they can hit us up for the next, for the next slide. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, look, we'll, we'll hold tight. Is anyone else, are there any other questions that um, we haven't addressed or any questions about census or? Okay. Uh, we've got a top fan here that's asking questions that I don't quite understand. So we'll leave them. Um, anyways, happy Friday, everybody. Happy new financial year. Have a great weekend. Pete, thank you for your time. And um We'll catch you all later.